With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Support for this podcast comes from the patrons at patreon.com slash FML FPL. Welcome to another FMLPL Fireside Chat. I am Alon on this international break. I'm very happy to speak with the expected goals and progressive passes mastermind, Michael Cayley. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm good, Alon. How you doing? I'm good. Ready, you know, to dive in, get myself through this international break with a little like stats talk. Um, yeah, there we go. Beats the heck out of international soccer. Oh my god. It throws my whole <laughs> schedule off. I'm sleeping in on the weekend and everything. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> um, so how did you get involved in statistics and, and how did you get into football and the Premier League? Yeah, so I, mean, I, I was a I was a huge baseball fan growing up and so obviously I was very used to there being just like innumerable, like more statistics publicly available than you could ever get used to. And um, what I found as I got into soccer was that like, and this is back in like, you know, 2009, 2010. Uh, so Opta was tracking this stuff and there were a few other companies doing it, but hardly any of it was publicly available. Um, a few people were grabbing it from a Guardian site. But like, you know, if you tried to find out who, had I, th- I think the number that I remember trying to figure out was which team had conceded the what teams had conceded the most or fewest shots on target, and I couldn't even find it. And, you know, this is one of the sort of one of the sort of fundamental uh, things that like stats people were working on at that point was that if you want to have a simple record of which teams are better and worse, what numbers will do better than just looking at goals or better than just looking at um, better than just looking at the, at the table and you know people are this is sort of around the time people are finding like no possession really isn't telling us that much but shots are and so you want to find if you want to understand how a team defends you'll learn a lot more how well a team defends you'll learn a lot more from shots shots on target conceded than from like tackles or interceptions or whatever individual defensive stats but it wasn't there so i start trying to collect it and if you're like me once you start collecting things you just sort of you know, then you suddenly have all of this information. You have all, you start to have the event data. You start to be able to work with the stuff that Opta is producing, and then you can do a lot more. And um, from there, I started working on, uh, you know, expected goals. I was certainly not the first person to work on this. I think that um, Sam Green at Opta is usually the person who this is attributed to. 
Um, there are a couple of people working for Arsenal at the time who I think were doing uh, sim- similar kinds of things. And But I put together one and put the whole system available online. And so I, I, di- I did, I will take credit, I did invade, I, 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 I take credit for the expected goals map. That was uh, as far as I you're, know. You're the inventor of the maps? I, I, I'm pretty sure that I came up with the idea wow. of displaying shots weighted by expected goals on a pitch. Love um, that. So there we go. I did, I, there, there's a thing I claim I did. And <laughs> so, so I should have started, I started that. with that and not called you the progressive passes mastermind, maybe. Yeah, I mean, pe- people, people have a lot of very reasonable uh, critiques of that statistic, which I like. Um, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, so I, I did that. And, I, and just sort of, you know, that got me into, I've done, I've done a little bit of contract work for, uh, for, for, for clubs and for other people in the game. Um, not my favorite thing. Um, and so I've, and I've also started writing in, in media, all of it sort of, you know, 538 and ASP and a couple other places. So is that, is that how you became, is that how you became a Spurs fan? Did they contract you and you just fell in love with the club? Oh no, God, no, (laughs) (laughs) nothing makes you fall in love, fall fall out of love with soccer faster than working on the other side. Um, no, I, that that was uh, you know as I, I the year that I really sort of was getting into it was uh, two thousand nine, uh, two thousand ten when Spurs had their amazing uh, top four run, and so it was a good team to get into and sort of. I, I, as a baseball fan, I'm a Red Sox fan, which mm. meant that like five years earlier, the Red Sox had won their first World Series championship um, in, in in like many many decades, and that was a feeling that I think I've kind of been like chasing that dragon as a fan. So Spurs were kind of the perfect level of maybe they could have a miracle season and do it, and I could have that feeling again is pretty much sort of, I think, how yeah. I fell into that. I very, like, I very much understand that as a, I grew up a Mets fan, a Jets fan. I've never tasted success. So <laughs> I, I tend to go towards the big market team who are kind of underdogs. And when I got into the Premier League, that was Liverpool. So yep. here we are. Oh, that's the, well, that, that, that's worked out all. Well, I guess I guess the title still right. not there, but still not there. But they're good. They're they're quite yep. good. Yeah. Um, so I think the obvious place to start is just with expected goals because goals are are points and good points in fantasy, and we're always chasing goals and points. Um, could you just start us off with kind of a definition of expected goals and and yeah, just why why is expected goals good and what makes a metric good? Sure. So, uh, so, so expected goals is an attempt to model something that I think is a very, um, intuitive concept in soccer. Something that, you know, uh, analysts, uh, if you, if you watch a game after the match, it's very common for someone to say, you know, Watford had their chances in this game. They, they played well, even if they didn't get the goal to get the win. You, this is mm-hmm. very common when managers talk about the way that they, organize their tactics it's around creating good chances preventing the other team from getting good chances so the idea behind expected goals is to find a way to statistically model this to be able to evaluate the kinds of chances the team created so you have things it's based mostly on shots because again that becomes sort of a really good moment to crystallize what has happened in a game and then with the, each shot you can do a lot of stuff you can look at where the location which is a huge deal you can look at uh, optic track something called big chances which is a subjective evaluation of whether the player is likely to score that makes a that makes a big difference you can look at whether a shot is is assisted with a cross that makes a big difference it's much harder to steer a ball 
on target with a cross off of a cross. Similar if a shot is assisted, if a shot is attempted with the feet or with the head. Uh, headers are harder to score, especially from any kind of distance. Um, you can look at the kind of move, and then you can look at the kind of move that preceded the shot. Was it a fast-moving counterattack that's breaking through the opposition lines, or was it a much more slow-moving attack where you expect there to be defenders? Or is it from a, a set play or a corner kick where you know the other team has tons of defenders in place? So you're, what you're trying to do is get a sense of where the shot is taken from, whether it's taken in a way that makes it easy to shoot in that situation and you're trying to model where the defenders are that's what my expected goals does uh stats bomb and some other companies are now breaking out forms of expected goals they actually take into account objectively where the defenders are which, which should you know improve our numbers on this um and and the, one of the reasons that this matters like you know why are you doing this well <laughs> as people say when that watford team you know they should have scored two goals and they didn't because they had all those chances it actually is the case statistically that teams that have uh, over the course of maybe 10, 15 matches in a season, right in that sweet spot early in the year when you have some numbers, but the season isn't like close to over. It actually is the case that is better it is a better predictor of future performance whether a team has very good expected goals numbers than whether they have very good goals numbers or, or goals conceded numbers. That, that early on the table lies and you can learn a lot from digging into the underlying statistics. And what matters for your listeners is that this is also broadly true with players. That's it what I was going to ask. As a predictor of future goals and assists, how good is XG? Exactly. So it, it again tends to do uh, tends to do better. Um, the the big thing here is that, that that is worth noting is that while on the team level, teams for the most part tend to sort of come back to their expected goals. Players do not. Um, that players, you know, as anyone could tell you who's watched the game or played the game, players have different levels of skill at shooting the ball. <laughs> yes. Um, what what we find though is that it takes a really large number of shots to actually even that out anyone can take 10 good shots as again anyone who's played the game can tell you sometimes you're hot you get 10 good shots mm-hmm. but um o- over time um the, the best studies uh, mara kwiatkowski did one of these I, I i've done one myself they tend to find that the very best shooters um and guess who's the best uh, best in all of the numbers everyone's put together? It's Messi. Um, Messi tends to end, I know, shocking. He tends to end up about 25% better than his expected goals. I kind of think about that as like the Messi limit. Like if, if someone is doing more than 25, maybe 30% better than expected goals, like that means they're shooting better than Messi and you really can't expect anyone to do that. Um, just This is just trivia. But uh, you, you know who has come up in the top five in both of our models? It's sort of my, my favorite example of, of, of a lesser player is Lucas Podolski. Lucas Podolski is, is what you have when you have a pretty limited player. He doesn't do, he's not, he's not a great runner. He's not great at receiving the ball in the channels. He's not great. He's certainly not a great passer. But the guys just he can just shoot. He gets into those areas, especially wide in the box, and he can beat the keeper better than almost anyone in the world. So Messi, he's just the greatest of all time, as he's the greatest at this. Podolski is someone who is a really fantastic finisher, and that covers for his other flaws. He's not as good at get- Messi is also the best at getting on the end of good chances. Podolski is not. Podolski gets there by finishing. But so 
One thing you can look at if you're looking at players is that finishing skill. You need a lot of shots. Podolsky luckily played a lot of games in the top division, so we can find that. If someone's only got 50 shots, you really shouldn't be putting too much weight on how well they finish those shots. When you've got small samples, you really want to be focusing more on the expected goals numbers. The main thing to look at is who's doing well in the shots that they get. That's going to predict within a season what the players are going to continue to do in the future. So why so why do we use the same number to talk about elite finishers and poor finishers if someone like Messi or you know even Podolski are going to finish probably way above their expected goals number consistently season to season and someone like I don't know Adama Traore and Callum Wilson are going to finish probably or Ings are going to finish way below and they take a lot of shots as well. Ings is a good one. Yeah, he 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 does seem to have a problem. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, basically because uh, one, I mean, because we're describing the same thing, we're trying to add up the the quality of the chances, so you can just sort of distribute that back down to the player. So you know, it, it's it, we are talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other reason, as I said, is that like you need, from what I've found, you need like a couple hundred shot attempts to be able to really consistently to really confidently say, okay, I think this is this player's level. And um, we we just don't have a couple hundred shot attempts from most players. Very few players get to take that many shots. Um, And so when you are looking at a player, if you've got a guy who's, you know, had 50, you know, uh, who was it last year? The the Watford midfielder who scored all those goals somehow. Oh, Oh no, the the other guy, uh, Decore. Really great at names. Yeah, Decore. Yeah, Capu was the year before, I think. And like he had like one point seven expected goals, and um, it, it's just like okay, this is this is this is you know, and he's from like you know thirty shots or something. This is not going to be maintainable, and, right. and 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 you you can you can predict that with a pretty high degree of of confidence. Um, so like when you're looking at like guys with 30, 40 shots, and this early in the season, that's pretty much all we're looking at. Mm-hmm. you really don't want to spend too much time saying, okay, I trust this guy is a great finisher unless they have um, a much longer track record than, uh, than most players do. Right, and so that's a good segue onto you know, one of the big talking points this season in, in FPL is, is Salah because mm-hmm. he, he kind of obviously exploded last season. Um, FPL is a, a budget fantasy game so he was very underpriced and basically led to every single team who plays FPL having Salah in their team this season he's the highest priced player in FPL's history because of what he did last season and from you know from a goals and assists perspective a counting stats perspective he's not really living up to last season or to his fantasy price tag and he has promising stats like his expected goals assists shots so do you expect someone like him to regress back towards the statistics or do you expect the statistics to come back down to earth? Uh, both. Mm, um, interesting. So, so Sala uh, last year uh, was, you know, the, the under, he, he, he had, he was by far the premier league leader in uh, expected goals and expected assists, as well as in goals and assists. Mm-hmm. He did outperform his expected goals by somewhat. I have him with, uh, between uh, League and Champions League, uh, 42 goals and 34 expected goals. 
So, um, you know, that, that he out, outperformed, but he was still putting up huge numbers. Um, he also, the, another important thing about Salah is the last year was not just a, uh, his breakout year in many ways was the season before at Roma. Mm. Um, his, his numbers at Roma, he was at um, 0.9 expected goals plus expected assists per 90. Uh, his finishing just wasn't as good. He only had, se- he had 17 goals on 18 expected goals, and he improved uh, last year um, both in, in, in his finishing and his expected goal numbers. This year, his expected goals are down a little bit from about 0.7, from nearly 0.8 expected goals per 90 between league and CL this year at about 0.65. Uh, but 0.65 is still fantastic, and he's still assisting a lot of chances. He's way below his expected goals. He's, he's at like six expected goals and three goals. He's at two and a half expected assists and just one assist. Um, you know, this is these are just bizarre early season numbers that are going to come back. He's going to be, um, he, I have him uh, second in the Premier League in expected goals plus expected assists per 90, and he's only behind uh, Jesus, another one who's way underperforming. Jesus obviously doesn't get the same number of minutes, which is a problem in FPL, as I understand it. Right, but, and he, um, he's always so high on the per 90 stats, I feel like, too, because he'll sub on and City are up 3-0, and he'll get two tap-ins, and his, his numbers are out of control, right? Exactly, and so, and so that, is, that, is a, that is a question for you to work on when you're trying to figure out your, 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 your FPL team. But uh, Salah is p- still putting up elite numbers. I think that last season, little over overperformance in, in, on both sides, probably a little bit hot finishing. Um, he's very nearly at that messy level in his finishing numbers last year. Um, he's probably going to fall down from that a little bit, as, as he has. Um, he's also probably a little bit hot in terms of expected goals, like just it was a great season. You don't expect someone to have a great season every single season. But he still looks like, uh, you know, probably going to end up top of the Premier League in most of these numbers if, if he keeps up these rates. So why why are we expecting someone to not have a great season every season? Like, is that something limited to just Messi and Ronaldo, or is there just more variance in the normal human levels of soccer player? Yeah, well, I mean, I, what I would say is that, like, the first season that Messi had an amazing season, a projection would have said he's not going to do this again. Right, right, right. And then he did. Because he's messy, he turned out to be the greatest of all time. It is possible that Mo Salah can keep just doing this every season, but more commonly is when a player has a great season and kind of falls back a little bit. That that that's that's what normal people do. Right, that makes sense. So, who are some recent examples, maybe in the Premier League, maybe just in Europe, who have drastically over or underperformed their metrics for a season, and then you know, or maybe even during the same season, then later balanced out. Yeah, last season, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo uh, finished, it started horribly. I mean, a lot of people were saying, oh, is this the end for Ronaldo? And his expected goals were totally there. He just wasn't finishing. Um, and he came back. Uh, you know, the w- w- one that I have, let's see, uh, this season, Aiden Hazard is way above his expected goals. Um, he has, he, he, and Aiden Hazard does tend to pop up on those top finishers lists, but um, right now he's got, uh, Seven goals, including two penalties on two and a half expected goals. That's gonna, that's going to fall back. Um, or some other players. Well, Hazard's a, Hazard's a good one to talk about too, because like as you just listed his numbers, he's he's hugely owned and a giant. Like his price keeps going up in FPL, and everyone owns him, and everyone's 
captaining him, which means you get double points, etc. So you expect the goals and assists to slow down, or do you think there's a chance that maybe under you know a more attacking manager and a more attacking system, there's a there's a chance that Hazard will just continue at this pace? I'd be pretty surprised. I mean, again, this is you know Hazard hasn't done that before. Um, you know, e- even if the numbers, even if the underlying numbers backed it up. I would be sort of urging caution because it would be a big jump in production over the course of just eight matches that you expect to, or he hasn't even played all eight matches, that you just expect sort of to fall down a little bit, to drop back. Um, and on top of that, the underlying numbers don't back it up. So so he's doing something out of line with his career norms, also without the underlying numbers to, to, to match it. But so can, I think can that is a... Sorry, maybe you know, account for some of that? Or do you put Snock in that? Uh, not really, because, okay. uh, he, I mean, Sarri's got a pretty long track record. And um, Dries Mertens had massive expected goals numbers when he put up those big scoring numbers mm-hmm. for, uh, for for Napoli, as did uh, Higuain. Um, so, uh, you know, Insignia playing in a similar-ish kind of role for, uh, for, for Napoli has been pretty close to his expected goals, and expected goals numbers have been huge. So his system has not historically produced players who uh, Sari's system is very much focused in the sort of it's in, it's in this way. It's similar to like Guardiola's old Barcelona system, where it really is all about creating high quality chances in the 18 yard box and getting players free in situations where they should score. It's a system that expected goals likes a lot, that tends to really hit expected goals well. I would expect that if Chelsea play his system well, that's what's going to happen, rather than overperforming expected goals. So what? which managers, now I'm just snowballing, which managers do yeah. overperform expected goals consistently? Is that a thing? It is. Um, there's not a lot. And and it can be it's again these things are very hard to identify. Uh, Mike Goodman wrote a piece for um, I think he's written for I think he wrote it for the Athletic about uh, Lucien Favre at, at Dortmund, who is appears to be a wizard. Like his teams, <laughs> he he somehow his teams always have more players in the eighteen yard box to block shots than you would expect, and then manage to get forward and, and, and create chances that are higher quality that, that, that expected goals can model. And I, I, I don't really understand it. His teams are not that fun to watch, so you don't really get that much out of it. Um, but it seems to happen. This is uh, Burnley is the, is the sort of classic example in the Premier League. They have consistently, especially on the defensive end, uh, that they manage to get numbers back and block shots and prevent chances. They have consistently outperformed their expected goals on the attacking end too. I mean, this is not something no. that, like, I assume that a lot of uh, Premier League uh, fantasy Premier League players are really like rushing out there to get Ashley no. Barnes or you, Sam. No, you'd be, you'd be very surprised how how valuable a cheap asset who's returning points mm. is. Uh, you know, we you have to you have a limited budget, so you have. Everyone has, you know, two Manchester City players, two Liverpool players, Hazard, blah, 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 and you're left with Ryan Fraser and Ben Mee. You know, you have to fill your team out. So, you now Burnley is very relevant to the FPL world. Yeah. They yeah, always so seem he, to, he, he, yeah. No, go ahead. Like, if I'm looking at my, 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 ta- my table of stats here and the guys who are producing really good numbers uh, in expected goals for less high-level teams. Uh, Callum Wilson has really blown the doors off to start this season in expected yeah. goals as well as in goals. Um, 
Bournemouth are such a weird team. I like Eddie Howe for years. What he's done is he's run these very possession heavy teams that play out the back and tend to. And then when their, their defenders make mistakes playing out the back, because they're not very good, they give up lots of good chances on dumb mistakes and, and their defense is consistently very bad. And this year his team is, and I'm not really sure why, like maybe he's really sort of changed things. Maybe who knows the team is really playing on the counter. The team is sitting back defensively. They they've dropped Lewis cook, their best passer in midfield. They don't really bother with sort of possession passing in midfield. They try to just get Callum Wilson on the break. And he's been really dangerous, not just getting shots for himself, but also creating shots for other people on the break. His, his expected, you know, he's got those three goals, four assists. Um, and like he's really creating chances that good for others, and he's getting probably better chances for himself than he's been finishing. Um, you know, I don't know how cheap he is at this point or what, how that he's all cheap. works, but like he's his numbers are very impressive. And if Bournemouth keep playing this way, which I don't know, that would be the big unknown. But if they could possibly keep playing this way, he could he could put up a really big season. It sounds like it almost matters more if other teams allow them to play this way rather than if they keep playing this way right because you can do things to prevent other teams from counterattacking, and if that's what they're relying on then maybe maybe managers will adjust i'm not sure yeah i, I really don't know I, I i do not have a handle on them at this point in the season um Dan, yeah. danny ings is, is again is is putting up uh, big numbers he's getting on the end of big chances for southampton he's one of the big reasons southampton aren't quite as terrible as i thought they would be so good for him <laughs> it's great great for him um yeah i mean just picking up on this i i i was a fan of the james madison statistic that you said on your podcast i like two or three episodes ago um where he is second in the premier league and completed passes into or within the penalty area and open play he's yep. a great example of a guy who i feel like He's a little bit under the radar. He's not really showing up that highly on expected goals, expected assists, even key passes where you'd think someone like him would be. But he's still putting up numbers and scoring points and FPL relevant because of that. Are there other mid-table players who show up maybe like in your models and maybe are, are missed by key passes and expected goals or assists? Yeah, that, that's an interesting one. Is um, you know, to some degree, if if a guy is 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 successfully completing passes into or within the eighteen yard box, you expect this to turn into goals at some point, uh, in, into assists at some point pretty soon. Um, one guy who pops this number is Felipe Anderson, who has been um, relatively quiet, obviously with you know just the goal and the one assist, and his expected assists are a little better than that, but they're still not at the level you'd expect based on he had put up really consistently really good numbers across the board in, in Syria for Lazio. And he has so far this season, he is um, among the, 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 the leaders in uh, passes within into or within the 18 yard box. Uh, only uh, Pogba has more than him. Madison has actually fallen. Madison is now third. Um, and with twelve passes completed within or into the eighteen yard box, it's not not including like uh, not not including crosses, not including um, you know set plays, not including corner kicks, and so he is doing qu- quite a lot of important creative work for um, for West Ham without getting big assist or even expected assist numbers. Uh, and Madison is is somewhat similar for Leicester City. 
both of them are guys that you, uh, you, you, there's there's a case you expect to see more of that from them. Um, you have no idea how much how happy that makes me because I <laughs> love Felipe Anderson. I've talked about so him on like much. almost every podcast. I'm like, I can't wait to get him. West Ham have good fixture soon. I'm gonna get him. I don't care. He's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice that the the numbers are backing backing me up there. So. Yeah. Um, so what what is progressive passing? I guess we're we're kind of talking about it without talking about it. And so what is progressive passing? Is there anywhere we can find it? Is that just your thing, or are other people looking at this? Yeah, sadly at the moment it's it's just my thing. It it is um it takes some like it's 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 not a statistic that you can create easily. Um, the the way it works is that I, I take the, the 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 data from this is again this is event data from Opta, and um, I take this data and I parse it together so that, so that you get into attacking moves. The unit that I try to look at as much as possible is an attacking move from the moment that a team gets possession of the ball to the moment that either they lose possession or there is a stoppage, there's there's some sort of break in play, like a throw-in or a, or a foul or whatever. And what I look at is wh- what are the passes or other actions that bring the ball forward past a vertical point where it's been so far in the move? Um, so when you're looking deeper in midfield, you're looking at passes that move the ball forward, you know, 10, 15 yards past the furthest point the ball had moved. So, so that, that is that key pass. You see, okay, the defensive lines have to drop back now because they've gone another 10 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also look at passes into and within the 18-yard box because you know you, you can see this as teams defend. They, they specifically defend at the edge of the box, preventing those, those passes and moves into the 18-yard box. So, the, the, so you, you're looking at the, the, either progress the ball upfield by a significant amount or that pass it into the 18-yard box. And you can only do this once you've first logged every ball location within a defined move, which is why sort of it just lives in my computer at the moment. But um, it is I, I find it to be a useful way of looking. It's in particularly useful at looking at attacking value of players who from your fantasy Premier League uh, players don't Hmm. care about because they don't care that, you know, this guy's really key to progressing the ball forward. They care about who shot, who assists the the shot and who takes the shot. Right. But in, in Madison's case, it's both, right? Right. I think that for players who are moving the ball into the 18 yard box or receiving the ball in the 18 yard box, you can get a little bit more that way. Right. It's like they have the, I don't. I don't know if this is right. Where they have like the potential for the assists eventually to come, even if their key passes aren't as high as someone else. It's really interesting. Yeah. I like it too. It's it has the same like intuitiveness of expected goals, which is what I think I liked about it, and and my my podcast partner mm-hmm. liked about it too. Um, yeah. So is that similar to to XG chain and XG build up? Because uh, I have a very basic almost non-understanding of those but it sounds a little bit related um it's trying to uh, it's trying to accomplish something not dissimilar but it, it's quite different in structure um uh, okay. actually chain actually build up are are, are are really it's a really nice way of taking relatively straightforward numbers and creating something out of them uh what what, what but what both of them do uh what xg chain does is that if you have an attacking move, so again, you've, you've broken down 
the, the, all of the all of the event data into an attacking move. And within that attacking move, say that that attacking move ends in a shot that's worth 0.4 expected goals, so a really good scoring chance. Um, expected goals would give credit to the shooter. Expected goals and expected assists would give credit to the guy who took the shot and the guy who assisted the shot. XG chain gives that credit to everyone in the move, from the center back who played, they cycled it around to to the midfielder who made the run forward, to the winger who got on the end of something. All of those players get credit for that point four expected goals. That's XG chain. Um, so it's, it's not trying to identify. It's very agnostic about what happened in the move before. It just said, these are the people who were also involved in this, who in some way contributed to it. And over time, over a large sample, you start to get really interesting things happening, like Xavi having amazing numbers for Barcelona because he was in the middle of all of the good things that they were doing. What XG buildup is, it's just XG chain minus shot involvement. So for players who – the guy who takes the shot doesn't get credit for being involved in buildup unless he was also involved in buildup. I see, I see, so I see. You, you, so, so, so XG buildup is just subtracting out the, the, like the, the stuff that's already in expected goals and expected assists from XG chain. So that's gotcha. what those things do. Uh, gotcha. Progressive passes ends up identifying a lot of the same players, not all the same players, but a lot of the same players. Um, but it, it, it's trying to do something much more specific and targeted um, than XG chain and XG buildup. Gotcha. Love it. I'm, I'm learning so much right now, <laughs> filling my brain. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to go kind of t- more towards some, some questions that, that people wrote in, but you know, it's all in the same world. Um, this is from guest Jason. Um, he said, are there additional metrics to look at when trying to differentiate between good form versus clinical finishing? In both cases, your actual goals are greater than your XG, but what are additional stats that paint someone like Vardy, who we know, we do- who we know doesn't need a lot of chances to put away goals versus someone say, like, um, Versus someone like, say, Richarlison, who seems to be a little lucky so far this season. Yeah, so um, so I, I'd say first what I would say is that, like, I, I think that possibly I, 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 there may be some issues of, of, of defining terms. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would think of as form is whether someone is, like, on a hot streak. You know, if, if, if this is, as I was saying about, like... Um, Hazard. As I was saying about Hazard that that like you know they're he's having a particularly good season just playing generally and then hot finishing would then be sort of you could you could you could you could arguably separate it from form and say that hot finishing is um is just saying you've you know Form then would be a guy who's got really good expected goals numbers, but maybe these are just the five best games of his career. And 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 finishing would be okay. This is um, you know he's way over his expected goals. Um, so I, I, I and these are very very hard things to parse out. One thing I would also say here is one uh, important note here is like if you're working for a soccer team. Uh, and, and 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 you are doing stats and analysis. One of the ways that you can really frustrate them is by saying, well, we don't have a big enough sample, which is true. Like, <laughs> it's almost I've always got true. 30 shots. <laughs> right. And this is where it's really important to have multiple inputs, not just the statistics. You, you, you want to be very, very careful about ever saying, 
okay, I think based on these 30 shot attempts that Kylian Mbappe has made the leap. And his numbers are ridiculous. But is he making the leap to be messy or has he just had six really great games? Hard to say. Um, Callum Wilson, I think, is that way. These numbers are way beyond what Callum Wilson has ever done in the past. So is this just a really hot run of form or is this something new and stable you want to pay attention to? And that is where I think you really need to be watching the games on top of it. The big thing I would say is it's less a matter of like finding the secret numbers, especially I think that with like shots, we've got a pretty good idea of it. Like we've got a pretty good idea of who's doing a good job getting on the end of shots and that they're doing a good job getting on the end of chances and taking those shots is predictive. What we don't have is a really good sense that like six games of data tells you everything you need to know because it doesn't. It's just too small a sample. So you need to be, I think, smart at watching games, not saying that like every time you see something that you that, that you like, you throw out all the data and say, no, now I, I absolutely believe that Aiden Hazard has changed into a completely different kind of player. But I think it's a pr- that, that you do need to be watching the games and, 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 and matching what you see, especially when you've got sort of unexpectedly good numbers, great form like you're seeing from Wilson um, to, to a certain degree like, from, from, from Mitrovic and a few other guys. Um, figure out what you think is really going on and read, you know, smart people talking about it on top of having the numbers. Yeah, or just bring smart people onto your podcast during an international <laughs> break. That's a good idea. Um, so how this is from um, Walsh, who I do the normal podcast with. He said, how does your knowledge and awareness of advanced statistics and metrics change or impact the way you watch football matches, which seems relevant to what you were just talking about? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, um, I think, I think it, it, it focuses me on a couple of things. Like what I try, what things that I try to watch when I'm watching the game, when I'm watching, especially when I'm watching a team attack is I'm looking for who's making the, you know, one thing when a team is attacking, well, it kind of just seems like the ball's just always in the opposition final third and trying to pay attention to, okay, who did that? Which player was involved in doing that? Which combinations were involved in that action? Um, it also makes me sort of really focus on, you know, m- more than even I did before I had the numbers, like on sort of chance creation. And, you know, when a team gets a, gets, gets, gets a goal away and they're up 1-0 and it's like, well, the other team had like three good chances to score. I, 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 I make sure to remember and log those in my head. Um, Tend, I tend to have a you know pretty good guess at where expected goals would or should come down on some numbers, so I'm kind of tracking that in my head a little bit. But I think the big thing is sort of not you know paying somewhat less attention to which of these good chances, which of these good moves turned into a goal. Trying to pay less attention to that in understanding what's happening in the game because it, it tends to be kind of fluky. Right. What are some of the common misconceptions with expected goals that you see in here now that they're now that it's everywhere yeah um i i think that like i think that sometimes people have you know the the word expected is uh that, that people yeah. think that this is a gambling uh, uh uh that this is a prediction of how many goals are going to be scored in a game and so like you know it's to be used by gamblers for predicting the score and uh, um it, it, it you know it, it's the goals that 
would have been expected from the chances created in this game or over this period of time. So it, it's, it, it is forward-looking in that it tends to predict future goals better than actual goals does, especially over small to medium-sized samples. Um, but it's not forward-looking in that in that very direct gambling sense. Um, I think I think another issue is that it's hard to explain exactly the idea that expected goals is useful for describing um, how well teams and players have been playing, but it is not all of it. There is real difference in the way that players finish in the quality of in, 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 in like it's not just that everything outside of expected goals is random chance, but at the same time that doesn't mean that a team that scored twice as many goals as their expected goals suggests. Uh, hi, Arsenal. Um, <laughs> simply have great finishers. Like so that it, it, that there are there are causes of variance from expected goals that are real and sustainable but there are also there's also a lot of randomness and these are difficult things to piece apart that this is where analysis happens is you know is kind of hard to explain to people on both sides who really want like an easy story of okay this team is lucky this team isn't lucky or who want to say, well, you're forgetting about obvious football facts like that Lionel Messi is good at shooting. And like, I'm not. It's complicated. And, and you know, that's what analysts do. So, okay, so let, do you have something to say about Arsenal? Because I think that is the mainstream take is that, well, their expected goals are down, maybe the sh- not as many shots as you'd like to see, not as fluid looking just as from an eye test, but they have Aubameyang and Lacazette, so it doesn't matter. They're just world-class, and they're going to score goals, and that's what they're paid to yeah. do. I mean, I mean, this is another thing that's kind of interesting here is you can identify finishers who are, like, score, scorers who really depend on finishing a high percentage of the uh, uh, of their chances, beating their expected goals. You know, uh, Podolski being the, 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 the really sort of Huge one, but uh, Hung Min Sun, he gets good expected goals numbers, but he finishes really, really well. Lacazette also has very good finishing numbers over his career. Uh, Obama Young doesn't. Obama Young is a, is a chances scorer. Um, Robert Lewandowski is another one of these. That, that like what, what he does is he's really amazing at getting on the end of chances, and he doesn't score that many more than you would expect. So Obama Young right now is outperforming his expected goals massively, like six to two, um, which is you know just n- not sustainable for anybody, but especially for him. He is a perfectly fine finisher. It's not you won't lose anything playing him at striker in terms of finishing expected goals. But what you really get from having Obama Young at striker is more chances. You don't expect him to keep finishing at these rates. Um, and then Arsenal's defense is also hugely overperforming their expected goals that I, I don't see in a, as sustainable at all. Yeah, we we like to make fun of Arsenal defense, so mm-hmm. we, we're we're behind you on that one on uh, from the FPL perspective. Um, so I guess you already sort of answered this question with with watching the games and the eye test, but what other indicators would you look for if you're trying to differentiate from? Um, I don't know, like a quote-unquote one-season wonder and an excellent player who will just continue having excellent seasons. I think this is this was probably asked with Salah in mind, if I had to guess. 
Yeah, and I think that with with Sala, the big thing you can do is that like there are other he, he played in in in, in Syria for a very good Roma team and put up massive numbers for Roma the year before he came to the Premier League. If you look at what stats analysts were saying before Sala came in, it was this is a great signing. This guy has big numbers. You can expect this to continue. Um, uh, Mitrovic is another kind of fun one that way. Mitrovic he's scoring a lot this season. But um, he has also, uh, in the championship when he was there, where uh, everywhere he's been, he's put up big expected goals numbers. Like this is, he's reasonably consistent on this. He's got a, he's got a history with it. So, you know, looking outside of, in, I, I think that like one of the, one of the, you know, with fa- fantasy Premier League, like you, you, you're going to be looking at the, just the Premier League statistics, but the way that statistics translate from the big four leagues in the, the other top leagues into England is pretty consistent. Bundesliga, Serie A, La Liga, um, Liga. You perform, you perform there. You tend to perform in England. It's, it's not a hundred percent. Things get messy. There are different, different skills, but you tend to, it tends to translate, uh, you know, and so Sala was not really a one season wonder coming in. He he last year made him a two season wonder, right? Which right, is right. why I would be very con- confident in him maintaining his level. Um, trying to think of, of new players that popped up in the Premier League that I haven't felt that way about immediately. I'm not seeing any off the top of my head, um, but you know, looking back over their career is the thing to do. Well, Harry, guy Harry has, Kane would be like a four season wonder, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and I, I wrote about Harry Kane's expected goals in his limited time when uh, Sherwood gave him some starts and he had some starts with Norwich. Um, Norwich and, and, and his numbers were like eye-popping then as well. So he, 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 I was calling for him to, to start for Spurs before uh, Pochettino gave him a shot because his underlying numbers had been so good. So he was, so your he was another David one Ortiz, that, like, kind of. Exactly, exactly. I, I, had, I had him... Uh, I, I, I had him locked in from a pretty early time. Um, you're you're so close to playing fantasy, like you. <laughs> all the things you care about are are fantasy. You come from fantasy baseball. You just it just sounds like you want like a slightly different game, like maybe a dynasty type of soccer game where you could get you know a 19 year old Harry Kane in your team or something like that. Because you're right there. Yeah, and no, I, I I like all the stuff that goes goes into it. Um, you just don't like the I, game. I don't like the game. Yeah, it, it 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 seems purposely cruel. It is cruel. Yeah, <laughs> it leads to a lot of dark pods. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> um, so we haven't really talked much about about defense. So defensively, which metrics would you key in on when you're evaluating a team's defending? And most importantly for fantasy, is their ability to keep clean sheets, which are good points. Yeah, so I I don't know. This would be a very um, this would be this would be a very uh, fantasy specific study, and so I haven't done it. Is if there are particular tendencies among teams that are good defensively to keep clean sheets or not? I have mm. literally no idea. Okay, um, <laughs> it is uh, you know, it, it is relatively trivial if you can program to to put together a Monte Carlo projection based on how like uh, based on a team's average level of scoring how likely they are to get a goal in a game depending on the other team's defense i mean that's something that you could in theory model every week i assume there are people in fantasy 
fantasy premier league who are doing this modeling each week which teams are more likely or less likely to have a clean sheet based on just sort of a basic projection of teams attack and defense um there are um what one of the things here you really do i think this is where expected goals tends to shine especially at this point in the season that um you know wolves defensive numbers really are that good so far they 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 are their their defensive numbers are you know similar to in in the same range as everyone's except manchester except man city like we 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 really do expect them to keep not conceding chances uh whereas so what what numbers are you looking at there when you're talking about so, wolves so numbers? So this is my expected goals number. So they, you know they they've only conceded ninety they've conceded ninety three shots, which is a pretty high number of shots. But if you look at where those shots come from, uh, fifty one of them have been out well have been outside the outside the penalty area, um, which is one of the highest rates in the whole league percentage of shots that are that have been conceded from outside the area, which leads to them having extremely good expected goals numbers. They can they they they. they they defend around the box and let other teams shoot from range. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really good indicator of, 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 of a maintainable level of performance. Um, so looking at the numbers here, anyway, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, Spurs and Arsenal and, and Chelsea are all outperforming their expected goals by a little, by, by a bit. Um, all of these teams look like they are probably not quite as good defensively. They're all in the single digits, um, whereas Liverpool and Man City um, and Wolves really do seem to have elite defenses from what we've seen so far. So I, mean, I would look. I look at the shots, look at the expected goals, look where the shots come from. That's that's the best way to get into this. I, mean, I, I think that uh, the place to I think that now this is site understat. I don't really know what their story is, but they, they publish what looked to me like a perfectly reasonable uh, expected goals number. So you, you you can see teams' expected goals conceded there and, and compare it to the table, compare it to their underlying numbers. Yeah, we're all over under stat. Huge, yeah. huge fans. Um, this question, I have to admit, is a little bit over my head, so maybe you can define what these these things mean, but I thought I'd ask it anyway. It says, what is your preference to pre and post shot XG? Should we use the scoreline to measure how a team took their chances or is X GOT better as it factors things such as opposing goalkeeper performance? So what is pre shot XG? What is post shot XG? What is X GOT? I don't know what any of those mean. Yeah. So everything I've been talking about so far, when I say expected goals, I'm talking about pre shot expected goals. Okay. What that means is that, it, that, that this is a whole system that is totally agnostic about what happens once the per, once the once the person's foot or head hits the ball. Um, post shot expected goals says what is the likelihood that this shot will score based on all the stuff we had in expected, in expected goals, who, who took the, where the shot was taken from, what kind of move preceded, it, et cetera, et cetera, and where on the frame it was hit. So if 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 you know if if a uh, shot was taken from thirty yards, but it is going into the top left corner, suddenly there's a very high chance that that's going to be a goal. If a shot is taken from ten yards and the player is clear on in on goal, but they take it five yards wide, there's a zero percent chance that's going to be scored. So that's post shot expected goals. Post shot expected goals is. Um, is how is one of the ways that you would start to measure the how good a player is at finishing. Um, I, I would tend not. I would say that using post shot expected goals for a game is interesting. You can learn things from it. You can describe. You can describe what happened based on like okay, these shot the shots that were taken 
should have scored this many goals, and maybe this is a way of getting at how good the goalkeeper was. Um, the problem is that that is your sample is really small. You don't want to be saying, you know, this team was really uh, was really good in a sustainable way in this game because I took a bunch of shots into the corner. Like that's going to win them this game, sure, but it's not something that is generally going to be sustainable. And what you'd want to be really doing is taking a very large sample of of, of shot attempts uh, taken and shot attempts seen, comparing that to what you had as the expected goals pre-shot, comparing that to the, the, the goals that ended up after the shot, and, and that could give you a certain kind of estimate of the quality of finishing, a certain kind of estimate of the quality of goalkeeping, uh, which, which is useful. But you'd really want to be doing that with a larger sample it, it, it's not clear what sort of it's telling you about a specific game it's a little like you know i mean yeah i'm not i'm not clear what you're right. talking about a specific so game. What, what is a good sample size because obviously we're still you know relatively early in the premier league season at one point in the season do you kind of change from hot take to confident take or are all takes just hot by nature because <laughs> there's yeah, just not I, a lot of events right yeah, I, th- I, th- I mean, I think that what people tend to what, what, what is that it's a re- you, if you if you look at sort of the, the 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 graph of the correlations and whatever, it starts to really even out around like eight matches at the earliest up to twelve to fifteen. That's this is the point in the season when our numbers are starting to tell us something, even with even with some uh, you know fuzziness, and when the table is more likely to lie. After 30 games, the table tends to sort of stand up pretty well. Um, so this is the point in the season when you really want to be diving into the numbers, when you've got something to work with after about 8 to 15 matches, and but you very well could be seeing uh, real flukes that you can pick out. Interesting. Damn, so this is the sweet spot right here. We got you at a good time. Yep. Um, all right, I don't want to keep you too long. Let's just do like a couple more questions. Um, this is from Colin on our Slack. He said, over the past few years, um, we've seen the development and use of expected goals. What do you think will be the next big development in stats analysis for football? So, I mean, I mean, what everyone is... So this is not really a, a, a FPL question. Um, I think what everyone is really working on is using the numbers that we have to go back and figure out what's happened. I think that we've got, we've got shots pretty well down. Like we, we can improve it. I think people will improve. It. I think what Sassbaum is doing should, should improve things, but we're in, we're in reasonably good shape. Uh, we are in much, much less good shape understanding what are the actions that actually led to those shots or that prevented those shots at the team level. Um, this is sort of where, where people are working on like non-shot expected goals, trying to figure out who this is what progressive passing is certainly is trying to do in a certain sort of hacky, is trying to sort of hack together is who is responsible for the moves that bring the ball up and even harder to do who is responsible for the other team, not bringing the ball upfield to get those shots and being able to give sort of player or player network uh, value to actions before the shot is what everyone is trying to do well. Uh, lots of people have models for this. Um, maybe some people in clubs have really great ones, um, but it, it is it is still something that certainly at the public level, I don't think anyone has really shown something brand new. 
Yeah, there's just so much to account for the movement off the ball. There's just like it's it does my head in. Like I have a headache just trying to <laughs> think about how someone would would do that because you know I'm not in that world. But it's interesting. Um, it's Brian Kerwan on Sykes wants to know what is wrong with Harry Kane, and then he also wants to know which EPL players improved the most from last season based on statistics. Yeah, so uh, Harry Kane is fascinating and confusing. Um, his expected goals numbers are not bad. Um, you know, he, he's still. I think I've got him over a you know one point over zero point five expected goals per ninety, and he's actually improved his uh, a little bit under. And he's improved his. You know, he's he's over. He's at like zero point. 50.6 expected goals plus expected assists per 90 where in the past he's been at like 0.9 so it's a big drop um and we we saw this at, at the world cup we saw this at the end of last season after he got that ankle injury he just seems to be struggling to get shots off the same way he used to the thing he could do was just find just a little bit of space have just a little bit better balance than anyone else and get a shot off he's been doing somewhat less of that he's been dropping back more for spurs which has led to somewhat more expected assists he's been creating a few more chances for his teammates than he used to in the past but he just seems to have never fully recovered from that injury or never fully gotten his fitness back after playing a full season plus the world cup um and the hope is that he plays himself back into shape his numbers aren't bad like he's 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 got uh he's got six goals including two penalties um, you know, he's got an assist. He probably could have another one or two. Um, so it's not like he's, he's, but he's just not at the same level that he was as far as I can tell for reasons that are physical. And I don't know how long it's going to take him to get that back or how difficult it's going to be for him to get that back. But that's the thing to watch is sort of when he starts to put up those like four or five, six shot uh, ma- matches that he always used to. Right. And you can imagine that, in FPL, he's been so consistently incredible for really every season he's ever played. So <clears throat> he's priced accordingly, and when he when he has a dip in form, much like Salah this season so far, it's you know a big point of contention among FPL players because it's like, do you own him? Do you not? Do you trust the name Harry Kane, or do you trust what you're seeing and his statistics are down? You know, it's it, it's all of that yeah. on repeat. And Kane is very different from Salah. Kane is really not a finishing problem. Kane is out of form and has been for a while. Salah, mm. it's basically just finishing. Right. Yeah, with Salah, it's it's hard for me because the eye test looks bad. Like some of these shots he's taking are just like way off target or right at the goalie um, or just, yep. you know, scuffing a shot. At, but, you know, I just hope he... We all hope he rebounds, but um, let's just do one more question, then uh, I'll let you go. I feel like I could go forever, so I have to cut <laughs> myself off. Um, Dave on Slack said, some general formation chat would be interesting. In previous years, we've seen the Invoke formation develop from 4-4-2 to 4-2-3-1 to 3-5-2 to 4-3-3, and nowadays there seems to be a mixture of formations from team to team. Do you have a view on what is the most effective as far as results go? And can you talk about the advantages and disadvantages of each in terms of creating and conceding more chances, et cetera? Yeah, I, I guess I would say that um, I, I, I would uh, I would question the premise of the question. Um, I, I would say that I, I, I think that looking at a formation as an attacking or defending thing 
is kind of not correct. Um, you, you can you can play three if you've got like a three five two. You, there's a lot of three five twos and three four threes in this world. Um, you know, you, you, I'm try, trying to think of a, a, a good example of a, of a more sort of open attacking one. Um, but like, it, it's very easy. I mean, Spurs have played this way in the past where they've used a three, four, three as an excuse to play Christian Eriksen as a midfielder. And because they've got, because they've got more center backs behind him. So this ends up being a very open attacking formation. You know, te- teams, you know, you, you, you see, um, teams find ways to fit uh, very attacking uh, wingbacks into these formations. So it really, it's not a matter of a particular formation having a particular, uh, having a particular degree of attacking intent or not. It's about how you are finding the best way to knit players together. And that to me is where formations get really interesting is that within a four, two, three, one, that player at the wing has a different job than they would in a four three three. They're not they're, 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 the degree because they're not now supposed to def, you know protect the fullback quite as much in most systems because there is a wide midfielder on their side in a four two three one. In in the four three three one one of the, one of the shuttling midfielders is supposed to support. They've got a little bit more freedom, and you and it depends. Like the formations also tend to be lopsided. Um, so you can learn a lot from you know Mo Salah in, in that four three three. Like he often is basically a striker. He is striker, yeah. <laughs> Even though he's playing out wide, because Firmino does a lot of defensive work and dropping in, and 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 Mane to a certain degree does as well. And so you really need to be describing these on the individual level if you want to be getting player facts out of them. But you can you, you can get a lot out of formations. But I think thinking about like how two formations match up tends to obscure more than it reveals. Interesting. Difficult stuff. All right. I think I should cut us off. It's been about an hour, so I don't want to keep you right. any longer. But sure. um, so where can people read your work, follow you on social media, hear your podcast, all of that stuff? Plug plug everything. All right, thank you. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm me and uh, Mike Goodman, who's an editor at Statsbomb, um, a writer at uh, The Athletic and elsewhere. Is, uh, we have a podcast called The Double Pivot, where we do uh, this kind of statistical analysis and tactical analysis of soccer. Uh, Every week, you can find us. Uh, Double Pivot is on a lot of uh, on all of your podcast platforms. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Double Pivot, which we do a second podcast a week uh, with even more soccer and nerdiness. Um, I also write. I've got a piece working on right now for five thirty eight. So you find me there under soccer, writing at the Athletic as well. Um, so those are, and I'm at uh, on Twitter at uh, at MCFA. So those are the things that I do. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. It was fun. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. It was awesome. Um, check us out at fmlpl.com. Follow us on Twitter at fmlpl. Support us at patreon.com slash fmlpl. Subscribe, rate, and review, and cheers. Cheers.